and experience life in a new way, the faith way. Morning, everyone. I think half the church slept in, but that's all right. You're here. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. Come on, be obedient, everybody. Uh -huh. I'm glad you're here, Laura. Okay, it's going to be one of those services. All right. Let's get um. Let's go right into it. First of all, uh, just recapping on, and I'm horrible. I just actually gave Kathy the announcement. I didn't even tell her, but our pastor is coming next week. My pastor, he calls himself your grandpa pastor. So, but um, he's the one that believed in us when nobody else did, and so praise God, he's coming. I also want to give a shout out to Gabby and Al. Thank you guys for coming. Give them a hand clap. Uh, they come all the way to Laredo just to. We'll see you guys in a little bit. God bless you guys. Yeah, they're, they, they just drive over to help support a little bit of our, our praise and worship, so it's very much appreciated. Then they go back, and then they, they're our, our lead praise and worship leaders in our Laredo campus. And I, I got a really good um, praise report from Laredo. We hit a landmark. I was going to say landmine. No, <laughs> landmark. No, we didn't hit a landmine. We hit a landmark last week. Um, and those of you that have been part of our journey, and there were times when just seems like the devil came with everything against that campus, everything, even back in the days when we were in the hotel, into the new building, and I mean, it was, a, it was to be honest with you, last November, it looked like that campus might have to be shut down, but we stayed faithful, and you know, God is faithful, and, and you know, we had a lot of shifts, people left the church, new people came in, but right now, it's actually in a good place, so the, well, we, last week, the total, total attendance in our Laredo campus was 50 people, imagine that, glory to God. That includes children, you know, lots of kids. So we were about half and half between the adults and the kids. So, you know, drove up. I was running a little. That's, that's, that's such an oxymoron. I'm running late. It's more like take your time, you're late. But no, anyway, I was running late. And I got to Guadalupe Street. And guess, lo and behold, there was a huge traffic jam. So anyway, I showed up right when I was supposed to start preaching. But what blessed me, I showed up. And it's kind of like here, like the parking lot was full. And just blessed me to see that. And um, so we're excited what's going on in Laredo. And again, um, you guys can help us build that. You know, if you know people in Laredo or, you know, if you have, you know, a trip over there on a Sunday and you can't make it to here, well, we're there, you know. And we're in a very, you know, very, very convenient location. It's right there, you know, basically about a block and a half from the mall, 800 East Man Road. So if you're watching us online or you're here in the building or if you know somebody that needs to get to a church, you send them our way, and, and um, it's growing. Our leadership structure is growing, and we, we really hit the reset button about a month and a half ago with our leadership and assigned positions, and now we see the, the fruit of that. So praise God, and we're so, so excited for that. So anyhow, just make sure next Sunday um, our pastor will be here. You don't want to miss that. You know, he's, like I said, he, was, he has a very special place in our heart because before there was really hardly any ministry, he saw something in us. And um, if it wasn't for him, we probably, you know, we probably wouldn't have not done this. But with, really without knowing us, he, he, um, he kind of, I guess the Holy Spirit showed him there was something there. And he's been my pastor since 1993. Amen? And I don't, I don't believe in changing pastors every 10 years. He's been my pastor. Give me no reason to change pastors. He's been a man of God, man of integrity. And, you know, a lot of things I could tell you about our pastor. So you, if you don't know him, you don't want to miss it. He's, he's something else. Don't tell him I told you that, but his middle name, he doesn't like it. He's probably watching, so he's, I'm going to hear about it. His middle name's Elvis. How cool is that? I said, you should have gone with your middle name, you know. 
No, actually, no, that's his first name. His, his second name's Odell. But he said, oh, no, I'm going by Odell Allen. I'm like, dude, I would have gone Elvis all the way, right? <laughs> anyway, don't say I t- he, he hates when I say that. So anyway, but I, I, we have a great relationship. We're, he's not just only my pastor. We're good friends. We you know, hunt together and, and everything. And even though he's, he's a bit older than me, you know, we've been able to have a, a great relationship. So again, just, you know, don't want to talk about my pastor. He's a good guy. Come and get under his cover because... If you see something good in my wife and I, it's because that man believed in us. Amen? All right. So let's get into it. So we've been on our series, you know, trying to define what is spiritual, you know, and a few weeks ago, actually more than a few weeks ago, this thing started really brewing in my heart, you know, like our definition of spiritual is really kind of offset even in my life and possibly in your life because a lot of it is we define it not by what the Bible says, we define it by what people say, right? Or you see somebody that's dressed a certain way, you know, okay, you say that's spiritual and and you see these different things, and when you really dig into the Bible, you find out that, that spirituality, and I, I have this little phrase that came up last week, and I used it here, and I used it in Laredo, and it seems like it connected, I believe it was from the Holy Ghost, because being spiritual is not all that spiritual. Remember that. I mean, it's kind of like a weird combination of words, but you begin to find out that spirituality is something that people can actually see. Can you hear amen? You know, it's not... You know, you can say you're something, but at the end of the day, really, your actions transmit. So with that in mind, you know, I have been doing praying, and I just want to kind of, I want, I want to read it, because if I read it, it'll, it'll come out the way I, I want it to come out, and sometimes I, I get going too fast, but uh, so last week, um, you know, as I was preparing for this, this message, and most of the outline, I always tweak them and tweak them and tweak them, and <laughs> and it keeps growing and growing and growing. You guys should see some of the messages. They, they end up being 10, 15 pages long. That's an outline form. And it's just that I, I like to dig. But I, I wrote this down because, and I'm just going to read it the way it came out. And, you know, looking at my own life, I realize that my own struggles, you know, I'm aware. I am aware of the areas I need to grow in. And, and I'm just talking about me now. It's not you, but in my situation, I, I wear many hats. You know, I have a pastor hat, I have a husband hat, I have a grandfather hat, I have a dad hat, I have a contractor hat, you know, and it's all these combinations, and sometimes, you know, your, your personality shouldn't change, but you know that sometimes, or those of you that know what I'm talking about, the way you behave at work, because, not because you're a, a faker, not because you're a hypocrite, it's just it demands a different presence, right? I mean, this is the work scenario. I'm not going to treat my grandson with the formality that I would treat a client. Does that make sense? You know, a client is a client. But sometimes you got workers, and then sometimes you got this. So it, sometimes it navigates, and again, you know, we're all human. Guess what? Your pastor is a human too. And we all deal with struggles, and we all deal with issues, and we all deal with personalities. And sometimes, you know, raise your hand if you connect. Sometimes you can be very, very spiritual in the morning, and before noon you've already had a fit of carnality. Anybody? Come on, just raise your hand if you're with me this morning, because I feel so... Lonely with your judgmental looks right now, but um, you know it was—it's—it's it's the fact. You know we have issues. You know we had a, a great weekend. Not really a weekend. It was kind of a midweek. Caden was off. They have intercept. You know the break. So I had never been, ever. That's kind of lame to say this. You know, living 30 years in Texas, I had never been to South Padre Island, and I just really wanted to go. We just had a couple of days. It was great. It was wonderful. Um, actually, a couple of things happened. One thing that blessed me, I was there was there's one church there in in, in South Padre that has um. It's a Baptist church, and I remember that, and I saw the pastor's name, and I said, I know that guy, and, and if you, if the weird, random 
chance that he's watching it. I almost went and wanted to go say hey because he was, I think it was his first assignment, and he was assigned, and, and Maurice will remember him, Michelle will remember him, Pastor Bill Waddell. And, um, and he was assigned to the, the Baptist Church in Miranda City right about the time that we started our church. And we kind of connected, you know, he was Baptist and I was charismatic or whatever, and, but we, we understood, you know. Well, I don't want to go through the line of politics that were played, but in the end, he had to move because that's what Baptists like to do, right? They change pastors. Yeah, I don't get any ideas. You guys don't get to do that. Um, you know, a bit of, <laughs> what was like, a lot of went like, dang. <laughs> um, and I drove by there, and I said, Pastor Bill Waddell, and I said, God bless him. So I was very blessed to see that, because, you know, our longevity in, in the ministry is not very common to have somebody still in, in the ministry after 30 years or so. So that blessed me. But anyhow, we were there, and, and we had a great time, and we're coming back on Friday. Good time with the family, just, you know, Michelle, I mean, Monica, Caden, and myself, and our dog. We took him to the beach, of course. He, he did not like the beach. He's a house dog. He could not stand it. But anyway, as we're headed back, you know, we're, you know, we pull into a parking lot somewhere in McAllen to get some food, and, and I'm backing out, you know, I'm backing out, and some guy that is in a big hurry, and you got a big truck, and you're trying to maneuver it, so he honks. Anybody been on those guys? And I don't know what happened, Laudo, but the old man just rose from the grave, you know, as after a wonderful weekend with my family, and I just parked, and I rolled my window down. You guys got to forgive me. I'm telling you, this is real. And I went, what? <laughs> and I guess once I rolled the window down, he saw I was all, you know, my hair was all frizzed out from salt and sand. And, and I pulled into Sam's like, you want to dance? We're going to dance, right? <laughs> well, he took off, thank God, because... HH might be filling in for me as we posted bail this morning, you know? But what I'm saying is we're all very fragile. Can you agree with that? And I think spirituality has to be defined clearly because in my case, you know, I get it, that that's an area that I need to develop, that I sometimes I think is under control and it's not. And we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Really, this is a message of the fruit of the Spirit. It's just a completely different approach. I've never preached this in the context that I'm preaching it to, to you, the, you know, in the series. So, you know, and of course, nothing happened, you know, and, and I felt like really embarrassed, not because the guy, the guy probably deserved it, but, you know, I actually was going to say, what? Jesus loves you, right? <laughs> no, it wasn't that. You guys know it wasn't that. But, you know, let me finish reading my notes, you know, and so you wear all these hats, you know, and you're trying to, so, and another thing I was thinking after that thing is, this is just an honest conversation with you guys. You know, as a, as a pastor in a position that we have, sometimes people will look at us as a standard and as an example. And to be honest with you, I don't like that. You know, I, I always point people to Jesus because, you know, you, you, you earn respect, and that's fine. And, I, and, and trust me, I don't want to let anybody down. And, you know, you know I don't want to let first and foremost my God down. And then, of course, my family and my grandkids, you know, and my kids and so forth. But but we are all very fragile, you know, we're all still flesh people, and it takes work to develop that area, and then as I'm, as I'm going into the series, I see where I've developed some areas, and I'm pretty good at it, you know, and we're going to break those down today, so you're going to see each and every one that we talked about last week, but then I find out that there are areas that I still need a lot of development, and I think that is the approach of this series, you know, that, that Jesus did not come for good people. Amen. He said it. I did not come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And he didn't mean necessarily physically sick. He meant spiritually sick. 
And if you're spiritually sick, well, it's going to transfer into naturally sick. And I'm not talking physical sickness, but just look, look at the world today. Look at the news, and I've, I'm almost done watching news. You know, it's just so, it irks me. I like that word so much that I just, because um, something, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going on all these rabbit trails, but something kind of funny happened to me yesterday. I mean, it was interesting, not funny, but it was, it was good. I was by myself, those rare moments, Caden went with his mom and spent the night in Laredo, and I was just pilling around the ranch, you know, and I, and I parked at a place that I like the ranch, there's a lot of trees, and I parked there, and I realized, I realized a thing, I said, you know, if I don't watch the news, Freddie, my life is exactly the same as it was 30 years ago. The ranch is still the same, I'm still the same, nothing has changed. But once you turn the news on, it's like, ah, right? But the fact of the matter is you see a society that has no context of God. And everything's out of control, and everything's racial, and everything is this, and, and it's just, the insanity of it is, is amazing because, you know, as, as, as much as these bad things, I do, you know, address them briefly, are happening, the way they're playing out is ridiculous. And then you see, uh, and the last thing I saw was this, this congresswoman, Maxime, whatever, inciting more riots? I mean, really telling people you got to go more? And I'm thinking, aren't you seeing you're burning the cities down? And now we have lawmakers telling people to even burn more stuff down? I mean, what is going on with this country? Well, what I'm saying, I'll tell you what's going on. It's godless. Because God is in the, I'll always say that is say God is the one that brings the balance. The, 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 spiritual, the spiritual aspect of your life as it develops, is what brings the balance. It's what brings, really, nowadays, the common sense. And you don't want to be spiritual in the context of what Jesus would call out the fake ones that want to show spirituality. You really want to say, am I spiritual? Because the spirituality, as I've said this many times, spirituality is not as spiritual as you think, because spirituality is, and I'm just kind of recapping last week, people will see it. And the fruit of the Spirit is not, how can I say, it's not a lot of different fruits. It's one fruit, and the shell of that is love. So if you can imagine a, a, a tangerine or a mandarin, however you want to call it, and you have all these slices, but what holds it together is the peel, right? Well, that peel, what we call the orange peel or the, or the, you know, the tangerine peel, that would represent the love of God. And I think, you know, as we, as we dig into it, we're going to really dig into it, but my, my goal for you is to see something this morning, and again, we still got, you know, Pastor Odell's coming next week, and I'm not sure, I'm not, you know, he, he'll preach whatever the Lord tells him, so whenever he's done, I'll come back, and we'll continue, you know, the series in a couple weeks. So let me just finish reading my semi. So I hate to be seen as a standard or even as an example to anyone, yet I can continue forward when I accept my human frailty. I'm not perfect, and I never will be, but I look to Jesus as a standard of spiritual perfection. Now listen to the statement, because this is going to be the whole basis of where this study came from. So Jesus is the standard of spiritual perfection. Remember that word, perfection. Jesus never sinned. Can you say amen? amen. And we look at him as the standard. However, real-life application is seen in the life of the apostles. Because they were human. They were frail. They were sinners. They were messed up. And it's amazing to me that Jesus picked... Some of the hardest people you could figure out, you know, why would, I mean, if I'm going to start a ministry, I probably wouldn't start the way Jesus started it. You'd probably go look, see who's qualified, who went to Bible school. No, Jesus went down to, the, to pretty much the, the dirtiest of the dirt. I mean, he had a couple brothers. They were known as the Sons of Thunder. It sounds like a motorcycle gang. Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, and they were. They, they kept up. They were always picking a fight. Peter, I mean, you, Peter was 
was me in the parking lot the other day. I mean, you know, he went over there and cut some guy's ear off. I mean, he was Peter. You don't want to mess with Peter, you know. And then Matthew, you know, he was involved with basically stealing money from the Jews, being a Jew himself, you know, tax collector. I mean, and you go down the line of, of the people that Jesus' ministry was made up. Judas, are you kidding me? Jesus knew that guy was going to betray him. He was a thief and a traitor. Are you still here? But that's who Jesus decided to pick to create the greatest movement that the world has ever seen. Because, so, so when I mentioned that, you know, as I'm reading the statement, as we go into the study, let, let me finish. That's why I tell you it takes me long if I don't just read it out. It says, Jesus is a standard of spiritual perfection. However, real life application is seen in the life of the apostles. I can see the same struggles I have. I can learn how to navigate through life based on the Holy Spirit inspired teachings that they gave us. And through constant meditation and application, I grow, and hopefully I can grow every day, even if it's a little bit. Are you still with me? So we're on this, on this path, and I want to show you this. I want to give you a little, those of you that like Bible history, I want to show you some of these things so you can relax a little bit because we all live under this demonic idea, not a demonic idea, but a demonic sense of condemnation that we're never going to be as spiritual as we think we're supposed to be. How many can relate to that? Right? And you don't want to, so you want to understand what is God's expectation. So what I always tell people, and one of my little phrases I, you know, I came up with years and years ago, is that we're not perfect, but we are pointed. Meaning we are pointed to that cross. We are pointed to redemption. That doesn't make me perfect. What's the other option? I'm not perfect, and I don't have nothing to set as a standard. So yes, Jesus, don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Jesus is the standard. You don't want to be like Pastor Box. You don't even want to be like Peter. You want to be like Jesus. Amen? You want, to, you, you want your life to reflect him, but the fact is that, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to break the news, you will never be that perfect. Not in this life. You will be perfect in that life. But we, that does not mean, okay, well, I'm not even going to try. No, that means that should inspire you to try even harder. But what we do have is an example of God, of people that God entrusted to write this holy book from the Old Testament to the New, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we've chosen to believe that these letters, that this book, you know, I know it's, it's got history, it's got poems, it's got all these things, but if we really get into the New Testament, a lot of what we grow on is what Paul wrote, what Peter wrote, you know, you know the letters to Timothy, the letters, you know, the book of Romans, the story of the book of Acts, the story even of the Gospels, what John wrote, what Jude wrote. All that, we believe, was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, guess what? He, he used imperfect humans to teach us how to navigate through this life. And one of the things that a lot of people don't talk about, it's, they were just people just like you and me. And I know if you come from the Catholic background, you know, I respect that. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But, you know, they, everyone that, that, that gives their life to Jesus, according to the Scripture, is called a saint. Some of you are like, well, that's not, you know, I mean, I just say that means simply you've been separated from the norm. That doesn't mean you're better than anybody. That just means something happened inside of you where you connected to your spiritual side. Amen? Well, we, we see people, if, like saying back to the Catholic context, again, this is not knocking or anything. I'm not against anything. But, you know, they say, well, St. Peter, St. Paul. And, and, we, and they sanctify them almost to the place where you say, wow, these guys never 
had any issues. And the fact of the matter is they had lots of issues, amen? And we're going to dig into some of this, so I'm going to show you briefly, and we'll see, you know, we'll go with, to the clock permits, and we'll pick it up whenever we pick it up. But there were schisms among them. There were, there were things that didn't, you know, didn't quite jive. For example, Paul, the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, his first assignment was really not as a Christian. He was out there persecuting Christians. And he was responsible for the murder of Christians. He stood there as the leader of the church. And when you find in the book of Acts, it says that, that they stoned Stephen to death. And Paul, and they said, and they laid their coats at the feet of Paul. That doesn't mean he was watching their coats and somebody see them. That means he was the, gives us the idea that, that represented the legal permission from the, from the church. He represented, you know, the Pharisees. And he stood there as a Pharisee saying, you may execute him because the man has blasphemed. You understand? I mean, he, he gave that permission for all these people to kill Stephen. He was the one that authorized that execution. On his way, when he met Jesus, he was on his way to persecute more believers in the city of Damascus. That was his mission. He was on a command to hurt Christians, and Jesus said, enough. And he stops him, and he basically laid it out. You know, you got two options. You're either going to serve me, or you're just going to stay blind the rest of your life. And you will be able to, because the light of the glory, God didn't put blindness in his eye. The glory blinded him. And he had an aha moment, which he said, okay, maybe I, this voice from heaven that just knocked me off my horse might be a good idea to listen to him. And now we have the Apostle Paul. Well, what happens is the church knew about Paul. I'm talking the, the first century primitive church, what do we call primitive church? You know, Peter, you know, John, Mark, all these guys, Mary, they were all involved in, in what we call the book of Acts church. So when they find out that Paul gets saved, nobody really believed it. They said, no, we're not, we're, not, we're not swallowing that one because we know what's up. We are convinced that Paul is saying that he's saved, but the fact of the matter is, he's not. He's going to be an infiltrator. He wants to come into our little world because everything was kind of an underground church. You know, they, weren't, they were open publicly. They were, you know, Peter was preaching in the open, got 3,000 people saved in one, one sermon. Imagine that. But my point of this whole thing is they didn't trust Paul. And, you know, it was probably correct not to trust him. But then they saw that he was Legit. The only difference between Paul and the rest of them is that Paul really was the only one that had an education. He was a Pharisee. He was, had been taught in the ways. He knew the Torah. He, you know, he, he, his credentials were outstanding. He even brings up his credentials. He goes, tribe, you know, stock of Benjamin. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he tells you who he was raised under. Who, and so from the rest of the bunch, now he stands out as really the one that knows the word even more than they do. They're, they're all Jews. They know the word. They love God. They walk with Jesus. He didn't walk with Jesus. So, so there's always like this point of friction, but then this happens. I'm going to fast forward so when you see the scriptures, I'm going to give you the, the scriptures for what I'm telling you about. Something else happens. So they decide in the council of Jerusalem, which was basically, if you want to call it, we would call it the board of the, of the first church ever, decided that because of, of the callings and they were praying about it, they said, you know what? We believe Paul is called to the Gentiles. I don't know if they were trying to get rid of him or just simply they, they, they saw that that was his calling. And really, that's, how, that's why we connect a little 
at least in my life, I gravitate kind of more to the to teachings of Paul because he's the one that brought the message to us. Gentile simply means people that are not of God's people. And Peter was kind of appointed to be, you know, the spokesman to the Jews. But at the end of the day, the goal was the same. Let's get people to meet Jesus. Amen? So the, so the, so the Jewish side of evangelism, which was primarily all of them, it was a new thing. They even had struggles. Let me, let me back up a little bit so I can finish the history of the church. Um, at the beginning of the church, those that were there at the ascension, you know, the upper room, they believed that the message of Christ was only for the Jews. They, they believed that with all their heart. But then God dealt with Peter, and he gave him a vision, and he showed him, and we see the salvation of Cornelius, which was a Roman, and the Gentiles start getting saved. So they say, no, no, Peter realized, say, no, no, this message is not just for the Jews. The salvation of Jesus is not just for the Jewish people. It's for the whole world. Are you with me? So God reveals to Peter that this message is not inclusive. It's, it's, it's exclusive. I mean, it's not inclusive. It's exclusive to the whole world can come if you believe in Jesus. So why is that important? Because of the Jewish customs, the, the council in Jerusalem had this issue. Because now, remember, it's the 12, then you have the 70. So it's not just the 12 making decisions. You got a lot of people making decisions. And even though you have, well, that wasn't the 12, it was the 11, and then Paul was the, basically the 12. And they're starting making decisions, and one of the things that says, okay, we believe that the gospel is for everybody, but when they come in, they have to embrace certain Jewish customs. Are you with me? And Paul stood his ground and said, no, I don't believe that's correct. Now, he had a lot of authority because he was the one that understood the scriptures. And one of the things, you know, I know we have parents, you might have to explain this one after I say it. I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> one of the things was the practice of circumcision. So they were saying, okay, because that's a very Jewish covenant thing. He said to the, said, so if you're going to become a Christian, you're going to have to practice this. So this tension begins to come up. And Paul is basically saying, no, 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 you guys got this wrong. How can you make a Gentile a Jew, because salvation, and, then, and in the book of Galatians and other places, and I'm just quoting things that are out there, he would say, there's no difference. He says, there's no difference between the Jew or the Greek. There's no difference between bond or slave. There's no difference between female or male. We are all one in Christ. Y'all tracking with me? So here's what I want to show you. They had issues with them, and Peter had a fallout with Paul. And then people cited with Peter, because, you know, he's one of the pillars. And one of his best friends that was a preaching partner with him named Barnabas sides over on these sides, and this big tension explodes between them. And the reason I'm telling you this is because when you look at the apostles and you look at Peter and you pull Paul, we, we act, you know, we look like they walk on this glory cloud, but they were just as human as you. And they dealt with anger, and they dealt with confusion and they dealt with not getting their own way and they had to process it and they had to, and here's God trusting these people to bring us an inspired word that over 2,000 years later will help us navigate through our life. Are you ready? All right, so let's go into Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 and 13, Paul writing to the church in, in Galatians and he brings it up. He says, later when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face -face confrontation with him. So after I read that this morning, I really felt a lot better about my little thing the other day. 
because he was clearly out of line. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul telling Peter, one of Jesus's, you know, Jesus' right hand, you're out of line. And you can almost see Peter like, who do you think you are? I mean, you didn't even see Jesus. Did you guys any have any of those conversations with your wife this week? Not exactly like that. But did you have a confrontation with another believer? Or maybe you didn't agree with something? I mean, because this is, you know, this is a modern translation, but I don't care what translation you read it. You know, Paul is pretty upset. And in the book of Galatians, even though he's addressing the Galatians, because the Galatians were off on a weird tangent, and, and they're trying to, they called them Judaizers. The Judaizers were the ones that were, had accepted Christ, but wanted people to become Jewish in customs and practice. Well, the Judaizers were big on this circumcision thing, and Paul gets so upset. I'm not going to tell you what he said, but you've got to read it. He says, if you think that's important, you know, this is really what he said. He said, don't just cut that, cut the whole thing off. Dude, oh, yeah, it says that. And I just let that one hang, because you all got to figure it out later. But it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. I mean, Paul was really irritated about this whole thing. And back to the reason I'm telling you this is because Jesus, remember, I'm going I'm to phrase this again because I want you to grab it. Jesus is your example. But the apostles show us how it works in the real world with sinful people trying to navigate spiritual things. So Jesus is the example. Don't put your eyes on Paul or Peter. Jesus is your example. But by understanding what the apostles and how they navigated through it, you can go home and say, you know what? I can do this. I can, I can actually be spiritual and erase those weird contexts of what somebody told you spirituality is. One of the reasons people stay away from church is because they think, oh, I can't go. How many have heard this joke? You probably said it. Well, if I go to church, the church building will burn down. Ha, ha, ha. What does that even mean? You know what it's mean? In their heart, they're saying, how many said that? Anybody? Raise your hand. Thank you. I mean, we say it because we, we're saying, my life is so bad. I'm such a bad person. I'm such a sinner. I'm so full of, of, of immorality and sin that if I walk into a holy place, there's going to be a clash. That's what religion wants you to believe. That's what the devil wants you to believe. And so people drive up and down this highway with broken lives every morning that we're parked out here, and they probably look at the cars, and deep down in there, no, they say, oh, I, I wouldn't be there so bad, but I'm just such a sinner. There's no way they would ever accept me. Are you here this morning? So we have an example of these guys had a face-to-face. That doesn't mean they punched each other out. And he says, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation earlier, before certain persons had come from James. Remember James, half-brother to Jesus? So you don't think that guy carries some weight? Uh-huh. He's, he's actually the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he's one of the heads of the council. And J- James, being raised as a fine Jewish boy, had to navigate. And the fact is that James changed his thinking because the council finally agrees to say, you know what? Paul is right. The Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. And James was the one that approved it. So James wasn't out of line. But James, you know, so you have James now involved. Sounds like a Mexican family, right? You get in it with your wife, and before you know it, el tío y el compadre y la comadre, and everybody's involved in the mess. Come on, somebody say amen. You know that's right. 
So it's the same thing. You know, now they're getting everybody involved. James is getting involved. And then, you know, at the end, you're going to find out Barnabas gets involved. Mark gets involved. Are you kidding me? You guys are supposed to go preach Jesus. But now everybody's involved in the situation. And he says, here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. Remember Peter? Our hero? Say yes. Even though you don't. All right. But when the conservative group came from Jerusalem, the conservative, it's not talking about a political party, he's talking about the Judaizers that accepted Jesus, but they believed everybody had to be a Jew. Peter, I hate to say this, Peter, when I get to heaven, please let me in. But he was two-faced. Paul called him a hypocrite. Are you kidding me? Paul, St. Paul, is calling St. Peter a hypocrite? Yes. Because what Peter was doing, and it's, all this is in the Bible, you know? He says, but when the conservative, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. In other words, when the council people came in, he didn't want to act like he was hanging out with the Gentiles. Remember I told you that we, sometimes we have two faces? We have our church face. We have our work face. Well, Peter's, is Peter's dealing with the same issues that you deal. Because of the, he didn't want to be crosswise. And some people say that Peter was actually the one, I mean, on a good note, that was trying to build the bridge between the Judaizers and the Gentiles, and the Christian Gentiles. He was actually the one that, come on, guys. And, he's, and some people say that Peter could have very well been the one that convinced the whole council to slack off. So we're not going to, you know put Peter in a bad light, but this is actually something that happened that is written in the scriptures. Why would this be written? Because we need to see it. The Holy Spirit didn't waste any story. This is not like, oh, a little side footnote. There's a reason all this is included in the Holy Scriptures so we can relate to what spirituality actually looks like. So but when the conservative group came, he cautiously pulled back. I already read that third, third line. It says, that's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy. I believe this is Passion Translation. or No, it might be, it might be the Message Translation. But anyway, whatever translation is going to say the same thing. But he says, unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in Antioch church, which was the council, joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. Now remember, Barnabas... And Paul were preaching buddies. They, they commissioned both of them into the mission field. They went through some trials together. They went through some stuff together. They had a special bond carrying the gospel. But at one point, Barnabas began to kind of shift a little bit because, you know, his Jewish roots were pulling him back into this direction. And Peter and Mark, all these people started, and pretty much Paul got, was left out to dry. He said, you know, we're not going. And so Paul, you know, really gets into this thing, but I just wanted to show you this. To, I mean, you know, this is still my introduction. I'm taking a whole lot of time on it to show you that they were, they were dealing with real-life issues. Now, you're not dealing with this kind of stuff, obviously. You're not dealing with if somebody, you know, is, is, has Jewish customs or Christian, but you are dealing with this on an everyday basis. You're dealing with raising your family, raising your kids, trying to keep your marriage together, trying to manage things at work. Are you still here? Amen. We deal with this every day. Schisms and strife. And, and what does the devil do as soon as you get mad or irked about something? He's going to come up and very sweetly tell you in your ear, he says, Oh, Leanne, you're not that spiritual, are you now? Right? He tells everyone. 
in this room at. And if he can see that enough, he'll act you, he'll make you stop going to church. If he can continue to see that, because the devil, you know, come on, the devil doesn't show up with sulfur and horns and red and he shows up with a very seductive voice. Oh, you're really spiritual. Well, you know, you talk really bad to your kid and you talk really bad to this and you shouldn't have behaved that way. You should have told that guy in the parking lot, what? <laughs> See, Pat, I don't really, you know, listen, my, my life is an open book. I don't really care. You know, I mean, I just, you know what do y'all want a hypocrite pastor tells you that I, he's got it all together? No, that's not this guy. You pray for me, right? <laughs> That's what the devil wants. He wants to tell you, you're not that spiritual. Well, we see the same. These, are, these guys are the founders of the church. And they're dealing with the same stuff you deal. But what's amazing to me, watch this one. That's Paul versus Peter, right? Well, I'll give you one more. How about this one? Peter versus the council. Acts 11, verse 1, the news traveled fast and soon reached the apostles and the believers living in Judea that non-Jewish people were also receiving God's message of the new life. This is what they freaked out. They said, I thought this was just for the Jews. When Peter finally arrived in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers called him to ask, saying, why did you stay in the home of people who aren't Jewish? You even ate your meals with them. That's why Peter was scared of them. So when they showed up, he's like, oh, I don't know you. And Paul said, dude, really? These people are like us. And by you disdaining them, that is not right. By thinking that you're better. The gospel was for everybody. And Paul, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, it's amazing to me that that guy should have been on the council being the idiot. No, he understood what grace was. He understood what had happened on the cross. He had a deep revelation of the resurrection of Christ. He said, no, 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 this is wrong, Mr. Peter. I don't care if you're a founding apostle. You don't treat people that way. That's what he called him out. And you would have think that everybody would have sided with Paul and say, oh, yeah, Jesus is love. No, they sided with Peter. But Peter had already been disdained by these same bunch. So the reason I present all this to you is just very simply to say, we aren't, they, they show us these things so we can say, hey, okay, I can do this. Look at your and say, I can do this. Come on, do it. Because if Peter and Paul and the council in Jerusalem had all these issues, and, they, and God still entrusted them to write basically most of the New Testament between Peter and John, you know, and Paul, and Luke, and Mark, and Matthew, and all them, he entrusted all of them to say no. Jesus understood they were flesh. Jesus understood they were weak. Again, I keep saying this because I don't want you to say, well, okay, that, that, that justifies me living. No, it doesn't justify anything. I'm just telling you, cut yourself some slack. Because Jesus cut you a lot of slack. Jesus is not trying to keep people out of heaven. He's doing his very best. But there is a way to get to heaven. And I've heard people say, Pastor Box, if you preach that, people are just going to go sin. Like, you know, you're, you're giving them a license to sin. Oh, trust me, y'all don't need a license. Amen. You know, some people say, what's the position of the, you know, I don't, you know, the church is pretty clear on what we believe and what we stand for, but at the end of the day, you know, your life is between you and God. He's the one you've got to deal with, not me. Amen. I, had such a, I got so many funny stories when I lived in Heavenville years and years and years ago. There was a lady, I don't even know her name, but she's come to church, a real, you know, very thin lady, very nice lady, but 
I remember going back then, it was Riverview. Remember that? Before it's whatever it's now. And I parked in there, and we were going in to buy something. And she's coming out with this huge 12-pack. And it wasn't Diet Coke. It was Because, you know, like, like a Coke 12-pack, you can actually hide it behind you. But I don't know why the beer 12-packs, never noticed they're like different shape. And, and she saw me, and she hit it behind her. But she got like the B and the S. Oh, that came out really bad. But Budweiser, I'm trying to say Budweiser. The B and the R sticking out on both sides. Yeah, maybe somebody didn't hear that, spiritually speaking. And she's like, who passed her box? And she's like trying to hide it. I'm like about to break out laughing because she was so embarrassed by me seeing the 12-pack. So she's trying to hide it, but she's so thin that the whole box is sticking out, you know? And the irony of that is that, who am I? I don't care. I love you. If you want to get wasted, that's your call. That's between you and God. If you need help with that, I'll help you with that. But I will never judge you. You understand? If you've got issues, let's talk about it. Let's get past. And my thing is, you know, the thing about substance abuse and alcoholism, the, the, the bottom line is that God doesn't want anybody, anything to control you. That's the, that's the bottom line. He wants to be, you know, that voice that moves you and not anything else. Some, you know, so, so, so which is the worst addiction? I don't know. Any addiction is bad because addiction says there's something missing. Some people are addicted to shopping. Some people are addicted to watching TV. Some people are addicted to drugs, pornography, you name it, gambling. They're all out there. But all it says is there's something missing in your life that God can fill. That's all it is. So my point of that little funny story was, because I, I have a lot of those like that, trust me. But it was like, who are me? Why do people look at the preacher like we're some kind of holy little thing? No, no, no. That whole thing is what religion does to people. Because a lot of people are more concerned by the appearance of, of spirituality than real spirituality. So we really need to define real spirituality so you can grow and, and, and see what does Jesus expect from you. And that's the reason I use these examples. These are the, founda- these are the founders of what we believe, and they had issues. And guess what? Jesus still loved them. And Jesus still trusted them. You don't think Jesus knew that Peter and Paul were going to go at it? Of course he did. But they had to work these things out. And by the way, at the end, you can find it in in Peter's writing. Peter Peter says he recognizes Paul as one of the great apostles. And Mark and Paul, they had a, a, because Mark didn't want to go, so basically Paul fired Mark. Not that he was paying him, but... He said, no, you're not going with me. But you know what? Later on, towards the end of Paul's life, you find a little, little scripture, it's a little snippets. Nobody preaches on them, but they're in there for a reason. He says, and bring Paul with you because he will be good for the ministry. The same guy that had a meltdown with Mark. You know what I'm talking about? You know, remember Matthew, Mark, that Mark. He had a meltdown with him. He said, no, nah, you, you can't go with me. You don't know what you're doing. Well, later on in life, something shifted. And Paul recognized the anointing and the calling in Mark's life. And restoration happened. You see, and the reason God permits these things, so we can relate. There should be nothing in your life, not a bad habit, not a bad friendship, not that somebody betrayed you, even if it's a church, even if a pastor lets you down, that should separate you from Jesus' love. Amen? I think he deserves a hand clap for that. Glory to God. So, it took me a long time, but... I wanted to build a good foundation, and now we can get into kind of the meat where we're going. 
So, let's go back to where we need to be. Again, in the book of Galatians, <laughs> it's a really powerful book. But we're just going to go into the fruit of the Spirit. So this is Paul writing again. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, I know that will preach really, really good, but I'm not going to go there. We're going to break down those today. We'll see how far we can go with the clock, and wherever we stop, we stop. But what I want you to see is we're going to define all these things, every one of those, because that is the expectation to people. And, and again, going back, if you weren't here last week, or if you're watching online, you weren't here last week, it is not who you say you are. It's the fruit that defines you. Right? And the fruit is what people can see. By the fruit, you shall know them. You know, I know, and, and by the way, you know, we hear the critics, even within our own church. It's funny, not, not, not that it doesn't bother me, but you know, somebody will say something about myself, or something will say something about my wife they don't like, and you know, we'll end up hearing about it. It doesn't bother me. I don't love you any less, because we're all humans. Amen? It doesn't bother you, Pastor? No, because I, I probably talked about you too, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Except you didn't find out. You go home and, I can't believe Pastor Box did this, and I can't believe, whatever. I really don't care. I really don't. I love you. I just don't care, you know. Because if we live in the Spirit, we got to walk in the Spirit. But walking in the Spirit is not what people have meant it to be. Because if, the way you dress, the way you talk, you know, you, you've developed the, the, what I call Christianese that you only use in church. And if you're Pentecostal like us, you can even fall and not bust your head, Right? Y'all don't understand that one. But at the end of the day, the people that are close to you, really close to you, will know if you're spiritual. Because it has nothing to do with who you say you are. It's to do with all the fruit that's hanging off your branches. Amen? And that's what Paul was referring to. So that's why I keep saying that little phrase. Being spiritual is not that spiritual. Because being spiritual is something that everybody from your coworkers to your family, will be able to notice. and Because every one of those, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, people can tell that. Right? People can say, oh, you know, and that's what I'm saying. I've developed some of these pretty good, but there's other areas, that self-control one, that's the one I need to work on. Amen? So let's break them down. Number one, remember I told you this is the shell. This is the orange peel that holds it together. This is the number one. This is the big one. If you, if, you, if you want to start somewhere, don't worry about all the other ones. You've got to develop this one first because this is the greatest commandment. The word agape is the Greek word unconditional love. And that is because it's so easy to love your kids and to love people that love you and to love your family and to love your wife and your husband, but it's really difficult to love people that irritate you. Amen, Pastor Box. That's good preaching. And well, Jesus, remember Jesus? He said, it doesn't, it's not a whole lot to love people that are lovable. What really counts is when you love people that curse you. Well, how can I even do that? No, you can't. That's the beauty of it. You develop that gift, that part that the Holy Spirit calls the fruit of the Spirit. So it's spiritual because it's going to be developed in your spirit, but as it grows, it's going to translate into your everyday demeanor and your walk. And people will see, I said, you know, because some people tell me, says, Pastor Bob, you know, how come that person, does, you know, my wife's the first one that tells me. She has this little 
phrase that she uses on me. She says, es que tú te pasas de buena gente. I just want to say I've developed fruit. You got, everything got real quiet. So be like, oh, I don't agree with that statement. Well, then you don't really know me then. You know, you're too much of a nice guy. Because she sees how I deal with people. And people, I get all these conversations. I get all these phone calls. And, of course, she's sitting, you know, 99% of the time she's right next to me. And she's sitting to these conversations. Sometimes if I think it's necessary, I'll even do it on speaker. And I'll tell the person, you're on speaker with my wife. Because she's, she's just as much a pastor as, as I am. Amen? Amen? And, you know, and she'll look at me. She'll roll her eyes like, I can't believe you're putting up with these people. Well, it, to me, it's not hard. It just, I guess I've developed a little bit of this. I do have that love for people. I mean, they'll sit there and you should hear some of the conversations we get. I'm not going to go down the path, but, you know, you, you begin to develop something, and this is the definition. Let's go into it. To love, to have affectionate regard, goodwill, benevolence. So if I love and I'm benevolent to others, I desire to do good to them. So love means more than having warm, happy feelings towards another person. It means I carry through with good works towards them. You can tell somebody you love them, but it doesn't really mean anything till there's an action attached to it. Mm-hmm. Hello. Yeah. Your husband, your wife can tell you, tell you, you know, they love you and they love you, but then they go cheat on you or do something or disrespect you or talk down to you. Whatever they said doesn't mean a whole lot. Is that too brutal for this morning? Or can we just talk about how this thing works? Because love, to me, and you know, there's a great book out there, you know, the, the Languages of Love, I really do recommend for people to read. It's just a good book. And you know, my language of love is I love to bless people. I love to give, I love to give, I love to give. You know, that's how I express love. You know, other people express it through, through hugs, and other species through words. But at the end of the day, it means I carry through with good works. The love that God has put in your heart, when you say, when Jesus said, love God with all your heart, with all your strength and all your might, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, and we're going to deal with all this in the next few months, because a lot of people don't love themselves the way they should. Amen? But the point of it is, God was saying, I want you to agape, not just to say I love you and send little heart emojis. Nothing wrong with heart emojis. But, you know, if somebody asks for 20 bucks because they're stranded without gas and you send them a heart emoji, they're still stranded. Amen, Pastor Box. They didn't want a heart emoji. They wanted Cash App with a dollar sign next to your name. Love without actions doesn't mean a whole lot. On the same note, love with actions, makes a foundation. Why? Because action, what's something about actions? You can see it. Oh, so this would be called fruit. I can tell you I love you, but at some point there has to be an action that backs up. So if I tell my church and I say, guys, I love my church, and then you call me in the middle of the night, you know, with something that most people would consider pretty lame, and I sit there for an hour and talk to you about it, even though I don't feel like it, is because I've chosen to produce that fruit. Are you still here? I chose. I don't want to talk to you either, but I chose to love you. And if I say I love my church and I don't pick up that phone call, that's why, you know, I know a lot of pastors that, you know, their cell phone is more secret than 
You know, they don't want, oh, I don't want nobody bothering me. I'm like, why are you in the pastor business? Hello. Go do something else. I said, I don't think somebody told you, I don't think you should be telling everybody yourself. And I said, so then what's the point of having a phone? Are you still with me? I'm not saying that's not your job. I'm just saying as a pastor, why would I call myself a pastor and not give you access to being a, a pastor? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You know, you're a pastor, but I can never talk to you? No, then you're not a pastor. Because pastor takes care of what? Sheep, right? Imagine the sheep is like, nah, and the pastor's like, nah, I don't have time for you. And really what, what the sheep was telling you is, he wasn't telling you, I, 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 you know, I want some advice. He was saying, there's a wolf. And you didn't listen. And now you come back out, and the wolf's taken 10 of your sheep. I'm saying, you know, illustration, because the wolf is out there. His name's Satan. And he's out there to get you, and he's out there to get me, and he's going to wipe us all out of the, off the map, which he can't. But we have to be united, and we have to understand our roles. And, and love is the fuel of everything. I mean, we could do a whole series just on love. That's not the point. But I'm, what I'm going to try to break down, we've got to get the foundation. You know, we've got to get the shell. This is the shell. All the other slices come into that shell. Love is not a slice. Love is the shell that holds all the other ones together. If you don't develop this one, everything else I teach you today is pointless. I'm going to give you as many as we can, according to the clock. It's already way ahead. But I want to show you a couple more. Because here's the thing. Somebody said, well, I've developed this one. And it's fine. If you've developed some, God bless you. What we need to focus, including myself, is the ones where we haven't developed it. And so we're just going to go. I'm going to go through these kind of quick. So joy, Greek word chera, where you get the word kara or character or charismatic. When you say, oh, that person's very charismatic. You know, you know those people that just bubbling with joy? Anybody knows? Those? Amen? Nobody knows anybody like that? I know Elizabeth. She's bubbling with joy. I I like, that's what I like about her, you know? She's like the Pillsbury dog boy. You poke her, she laughs. You, know? <laughs> you see, I tell you. Every time, come on, there are people that just light up a room. I'm not that guy, so don't worry about it. You want joy, talk to Elizabeth. No, just kidding. No, we all need to have joy because joy is not just being giggly. It's joy is that there's something inside of you that is so great that even when you're going through some really hard circumstances, your joy is still on. That's really what it means. It doesn't mean being happy and giggly and bubbly all the time. It just means there's something that has happened in you that you are a, you, you show people that you have joy. You show people, they don't, they, you might be going through the worst storm of your life, but you've developed something where, the, where people encounter you. And guess what joy does? It makes people want to be around you. Isn't the gospel about that? Isn't it about the gospel about attracting people to Jesus? So I think joy is something we all need some more of. You know, yes, we all go through storms, but what's happening on the inside should be way bigger than the storm that we're facing. The definition is rejoicing, gladness, the joy which the Holy Spirit imparts. Some of the synonyms are good cheer and gladness of heart. The antonyms are distress, pain, and sorrow. Wow, does that mean that being stressed out is the opposite of joy? Yep, I think it does. When you're stressed out, you haven't developed joy. I hear that, so I'm just so stressed out. I heard my grandson say the other day, I said, what are you stressed out about? You want to be stressed out? Well, you know, go clean up the trash. Come on, come on. You know? <laughs> no, but you know, kids get stressed out because it's the school puts pressure on them, and they got tests, and and and, and they don't understand it. So I got to sit there and explain, you know, some things. But you hear, you know, it's, it's sad to even see children. They're all stressed out, man. Look at your neighbor and say, "You need to chill out." Go ahead and tell them, "Y'all need to chill out." You know, relax. The world's not going to end if whatever 
you know, thing you're dealing with is not going to get fixed at the right exact moment you need it fixed. But joy is developing out. You know, it's, that was a big, and these are some of my notes, that was a big eye-opener for me, and I know that I needed to do something about that area in my life. Because I, you can tell people, when I first became a pastor, I was, I'm telling you, I've modified myself because I've developed these. I was in love with Jesus, I was fired up for Jesus, but I was more of a zealot than I was walking in the love of God. I go back to some of the things that I used to preach. It's, no wonder the church didn't grow. I was running everybody off. Because it was, you know, my messages were good, but at the end of the day, it was like, well, if you don't like it, you can just pick a door. You know, like, whoa, calmate, you know. <laughs> I said that. Some of you probably heard me say that. You know, I just, I mean, I would, I'd get in the Holy Spirit, and I wanted to bring something across, but it doesn't matter if my message is amazing if it's not filled with joy. You know, I think it's, you know, I know that's my personality, and I love to do this. I like to make people laugh. And I don't plan, like, when I get silly up here, do you think this is planned out? It just comes up. I got my outline, it doesn't say make people laugh. I just remember things and everything. And the thing about joy is, and and I've developed this, don't take your life so seriously. Years and years ago, and and Monica, I remember she rolled her eyes, she might remember that. We were, I was here in Heaven Building, I was... We, were in a, we got in that place where it was getting late, and for whatever reason, probably my wife's fault, we weren't going to make it to church on time, and I was just trying to get dressed really fast. And somewhere in the mix, Lauro, I showed up with church. I had my dress shoes on because back then you had to wear a tie because if not, you weren't spiritual. But, I mean, that's how people conceived it, and I had my, all my thing, but I didn't put socks on. Not that anybody could tell because the pants were below. But I told people, you know what? And I was kind of t- talking about the same thing. I said, don't take yourself too seriously. And I went like this. I said, look at this. I don't even have socks on. And the whole church just fell out, you know. Because here's the thing. I don't take myself that serious. I don't. I, you know, I could care less. But my point of it is joy is something that God causes when you begin to see things from his perspective. Amen? When you see things from where God is looking at, there is no reason for you not to have joy. Amen? Let's go to the next one. Peace. That's where you get the Greek, the Greek word is what you would call Irene, which is a, a name we know. This is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament word shalom. This is also very similar to the word salvation, which is really cool, because they all have all these same definitions in the New Testament, meaning wholeness, soundness, health, well-being, prosperity, it also has a connotation, I like this one, the absence of confusion. People that are in peace are not confused. Are you with me? And I'll tell you, I got on this thing a few years ago, and I've, I talked to my wife and, and my family, you know, I just let them know, not that it makes a lot of difference, but it was the biggest pursuit in my life for the, probably the last eight years, I want to say, I just want peace in my life. Anybody? It doesn't, you know, everything else doesn't really matter. I want peace with my wife. I want peace in my finance. I want peace in my health. I want peace with my kids. I want peace with my grandkids. I want peace in my church. Because peace is the absence of confusion. So where there is confusion, there is no peace. And if you feel like your life needs more peace, guess what? You can develop that part of the spirit. Every one of these are are open for development. And the development is not like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? The Holy Spirit, remember, there are spiritual, there are spiritual fruits but they will grow in your spirit to the point that they manifest on the exterior. And people will come around. You know, people will, 
I don't know if that's happened to you, but hopefully it's happened to some of you, and it should be happening to some of you, that people in the world that, that don't know, you know, they know you're a believer or whatever, but they're like, has anybody been faced with this? I faced with this. How come you have so much peace? We, I mean, I got, I got all that asked during the whole COVID crisis. I'm like, how come you have so much peace? I'm like, because I didn't participate in it. I chose not to participate in the <laughs> pandemic. I, didn't, I chose to not participate financially, physically, mentally, emotionally. I didn't participate in any. I'm not participating in any of the pandemic. I'll play, you know, do whatever they ask me to do and, you know, the little mask thing and all that, but I'm not going to participate in it. I never let fear in. Amen. You know, all these, it's amazing now Texas is wide open and our numbers are going down and all the states that are locked up, their numbers are going up. Because we need to live our lives, people. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. We need to live our lives at some point and I'm done with it, you know. It's like, you know, do what you got to do, take care of yourself, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to lose my peace over that. Well, what if you die? I go to heaven. You stay here. Amen. I'm done. <laughs> See, even death, even death can't move you when you know who Jesus is. Because the fear of death is the biggest stealer of peace. Amen. So we begin to develop this. Absence of interest, interestingly enough, it holds the meaning that Christians will have peace in this present life, not merely in the life to come. Because, oh, when I get to heaven, I'll have peace. Rest in peace. No, I'm resting in peace right now. Come on. Why do I have to wait till I'm dead so I can rest in peace? No, I'm going to rest in peace, guess what, tonight. Come on, somebody. Peace is a beautiful thing. I'm under so much conviction of what I'm preaching right now. <laughs> Here we go. Patience. This one I think I'm doing okay on it. Maybe there's, my fruit needs to go a little bit, but I'm doing great. The Greek word is macro thumio, and if you understood a little bit about Greek, macro means big. All right, just throw it out there. Self-restraint before proceeding to action. So patience is not just, oh, I'm going to wait here till something good happens. Or I'm going to wait here till COVID is over. I'm going to be very patient till, you know, whatever situation. Yeah, that, I mean, that's part of it that you can develop that, but it's also patient towards others. Say amen, husbands. No, no, amen. Men don't want to say amen. Come on, men, say yes, pastor, amen. I'm going to be more patient with my wife. Come on. Ladies, cut us some slack. We were made from dirt, all right? You guys, you guys were made from bone. You're better than us. But women, you need to be patient to your husband too because we are pretty thick skulled, right? So the quality of a person who is able to avenge himself, I like this one, yet refrains from doing so. That's probably what I needed to do the other day. It has the particular connotation of being patient with people as opposed to being patient in a frustration circumstance. It is closely associated with showing mercy to others. The synonym would be tolerant. And I'm not saying tolerant of sin or tolerant of this. I'm just saying cut some people some slack. Because you're not perfect and they're not either. Amen? You've got to cut people some slack. That's what I told you at my, my introduction this morning was I, sometimes as a pastor, if I'm not careful, the devil will completely disqualify me. Because, you know, if I had a bad moment or I yelled or got mad or somebody irked me, the devil comes with his little stupid little voice and says, oh, really, Mr. Pastor, you're supposed to be spiritual. 
So spirituality, what is spirituality? Let's kind of take a halfway break. We're about halfway through the definitions. Simply means the more I can develop these things, that action, the fact that today you're sitting here, if you're watching me online, you're watching me in the church, you're watching a rebroadcast, you're listening to it on a podcast, the fact that you can sit there and pause for a moment and say, okay, I got it. I need to work on this. That, that moment that you make the decision to take one of these aspects of the fruit and say, you know, I'm going to develop that one, that's, now you become spiritual. Isn't that amazing? It's not how long you read your Bible. It's not how long you pray. You should pray. You should read your Bible. But I know people that pray all night and read their Bible back to back, but when it transfers into reality, they're as mean as a rattlesnake. Anybody? I pray, you know, I fast and pray. Whoopie-doo. But if I can't see the love of Jesus... I don't really care if you fast or pray. Yeah. It, makes, it doesn't make you any more spiritual. Show me the money, right? Show me the Jesus in you. Because that's all we have. I tell people, we're all, all of us in this room, this is not a negative confession, we're, we're, all, we're all one Jesus away from complete backsliding failure. Do you agree with that statement? You know, all we have that holds us in line is him. And then we have the Holy Spirit helping us develop some of these things. Is this helping anybody this morning? All right. Here's another one. What about kindness? One of the things that used to turn me off so much of of Christianity was how many unkind Christians I would run into. Just completely unkind. They'd get mad at everything, mad at everybody, you know, but they call themselves spiritual, and, it, and as a child, and this is the thing, guys, we have a huge responsibility, if no re- other reason to develop this, is for your kids and your grandkids. They should see that you're struggling. They should, you should be open. You know, when I mess up, I don't throw it away, especially now with my grandkids, you know, because they think I'm like all it. They don't know me that well yet, but, you know, I, I, I tell I tell Caden, especially now, you know, he's 11, he gets it, and I say, you know, what I, what I said was not right. I don't want you to look at that as an example. When he saw me, you know, he, the times I've gotten mad like that, I, I, he, he knows, you know, he, he, you know, I tell him, that's not right. I said, I've already asked God to forgive me, and I asked you to forgive me. Because I don't want him to grow up and say, oh, that's, that's okay behavior. No, it's not okay behavior. I don't care if it comes from, comes from your pastor, your dad, your grandpa, whatever. It's not okay. And I think all of us should put that demand on our own personal life. That's what I'm saying. Quit trying to correct everybody in your life. Start with you, buy a mirror. Kindness, being benign, useful. You hear this, the Greek word a lot in philanthropy. It is the opposite of aptomia, which means severity or cutting something short and quickly. It is the grace which pervades the whole nature, mellowing all which would be harsh or austere. It can connotes the harmlessness of a dove, the what? The wisdom of a serpent. So kindness, because some people say, Pastor Box, because I came from this world, if I just become this really kind person, people are going to run over me. No, they're not. Because you got the wisdom of the serpent, but you got the kindness of a dove. Kindness is letting that love of Christ manifest into other people's life. And everyone, I'm not going to speak for anybody, but I think all of us, could be a little more kind to people. Do you believe that? Basically, it's just, I like that little word, cut people some slack. That would be kindness. Kindness in, with your family, kindness, you know, in all these situations, because God, 
you know, one of love the scripture. One of my favorite scriptures is, it's your kindness, Lord. Not your religion, not your legalism. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads me to repentance. Imagine if you applied that into your marriage. Imagine if you applied that into raising your kids. Even when your kids are wrong, it's your kindness in that circumstance, even though you still, you still are a you know, you still have to apply discipline into their life, but there's a kindness attached to it that will lead that child to see that his ways are wrong. Are you tracking? You can discipline in kindness. You can take a phone away in kindness. I mean, the kid might not understand it, but you're transmitting these things. And I think this one, you know, think about it. What is your daily activity? And I, and I always tell you, you've heard me say this so many times, and I know it's very redundant, but how do you interact, for example, with a waiter or a waitress? That, to me, is a big one. I don't know why. You know, every time, every time they bring me, and I know I wear them out, I say thank you every single time. I don't even hardly text somebody, even though they didn't ask me for something. I'll just say thank you. I'm just so used to thanking people. Some of you need to start practicing that. Because it's with thanksgiving that you enter into his presence. So a thankful heart is a kind heart. And a thankful heart navigates in the presence of God. Think about it. And in the presence of God, it's all connected. There's fullness. So whatever you're missing, it could simply be attached to something as simple as kindness. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Be a little more patient for the people that don't quite get it. The people that are, you know, because I'm telling you, spiritual is not all that spiritual. Being spiritual is going to look out there. Not here. Everyone here, you got like a holy glow, all of you. But when it gets real, can you be a little more kind? Can you be a little more patient? Amen? Let's hurry this up. Let's try. I want to get through these today. Goodness. Is that the same? No, it's similar. It, 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 it walks hand in hand with kindness, but it's a little bit different. The, the Greek word is agathos which means active goodness. It, it contains an actively doing good deeds. In other words, now you've created a habit of doing good deeds. Amen? It's not just a random thing. Oh, you, know, you, don't, you don't even have to think about it. You just do good deeds for people. Somebody's in a bind, and you can get them out of the bind. You're not looking to, 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 to get your money back or figure. You just get them out of you, you know. Somebody's, so goodness is, is part of the fruit, which is there is definitely the understanding that the deed must be accomplished and not merely intended talked about or thought of. True biblical goodness follows through. Once again, I kind of use it. But goodness is, is, is pretty much, you know, you, it's kindness. Kindness is your demeanor, the way you treat people. Goodness are the actions that come with the kindness. Does that make sense? That's really the difference between kindness and goodness. You're a kind heart, but when you begin to do acts of goodness, that really connects to that kindness. You know, I'm so blessed. This, this church, guys, you guys don't even know how proud I am of you because, and I want to give a, just a blessing to those, the, the, the ladies' ministry, you know, the women's ministry. If you're part of it, um, we, they sent this week $1,200 to Cuba. And we had just previously sent $1,200. Give the Lord praise for that. I'll tell you why. Um, as you know, Cuba's in the news. It just seems like, when, you know, we're always in, anything we do is in the news, right? I told you all we're going to Ukraine, and Ukraine's in the news. Go look it up. Well, um, the last Castro finally stepped down. Glory to God. Not that it has changed anything yet. The guy that was the acting president, they had a president, which is basically a puppet. He moves into the secretary of the party, which is he will be in charge. 
But t talking to Yoel, you know, he thinks it's, it's getting really close. The country is not in a good place. Nothing has been better because, but because of your kindness and your goodness and our faith, because the only option we had, we were trying to get containers. HH went and, and contacted Samaritan Purse and other, or, you know, trying to figure out how to do it. And the only thing we could come up with was very simple. All we could do was send money and believe God he would find it. Well, guess what happened, Freddie? You'll, you'll like this one. So last week, he found 300 pounds of rice. And guess what? Watch. The guy that had all this is black market. It was three 100-pound sacks of rice. And of course, Yoel is not talking about feeding his family. He tells you, I'm eating well. I got a little mad at him because he says, you know what I'm eating right now? He gave me the whole list of everything. And he was eating better than I was. I'm like, you kidding me? You know, but my point was, he's trying to feed these people. He's out there running around. And we were talking about the inflation in Cuba. And the inflation is, is jacked up like 300% within the last six months. Imagine that. 300%. We, we complain here if we go up, you know, 2%. 300%. Everything, everything you know, you go buy a, a gallon of milk, 300% more expensive. Still, nobody has any money. And the pound of rice is somewhere in the vicinity of, I mean, for Cuban standards, it's a lot. It's probably around $10 a pound. Okay, where, where am I going with all this? Well, we believe that he would find the food. But we also believe that the God, God is not limited by borders. He's not limited by economy. And I remember, remember this age, we talked about this years and years ago in 2008, 2009, when people were getting real upset about the crisis. And gas shot up and everything shot up. And it was like, I said, you know, the God that fills your tank with $100 will see, is still the same God that will fill your tank when it's going to cost you $500. Yeah. You understand? Inflation should not move. Yeah. And, I was, and, and, you, and you had understood this. And, this is, and he said, so when the guy came in and said, I have 300 pounds of rice, do you want them? And you had said, yes. He said, but it's really expensive. And you had said, I didn't ask you how much it cost. Just bring it. He had the resources because of your love and your kindness to be able to just say, bring it. He didn't have to haggle because you, don't, you can't haggle. At that point, somebody else is going to take it. Yeah. You do not say, wow, cuánto me la dejas. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. He just said, just bring it. And the guy kind of, you didn't even try to, like, even a little bit the price? No, just bring them. If you have more, bring them all. Why? Because he had the resources to take care of that. So, you know, the little that we're doing is making a difference. Amen. I just want to encourage you on that. But that is kind of what we're seeing, right? We're, we're seeing the fruit, of a, the fruit of the Spirit on a church level. Now we just got to bring that fruit of the Spirit on our personal level. So I just want to share that. I know this was a good place to insert that testimony. And he's, he was able to find cooking oil was completely gone. and they, um, Somebody gave him five liters, which is, he didn't even have to buy it. There's no oil. I mean, like, you know what I'm talking about, cooking oil? Right now, if you can find one, it's upwards $25. A bottle of oil. Imagine that. So, anyway, I'll talk about Cuba later. So, goodness is, is really that actively doing good deeds. And I'll tell you why this church is blessed and we're able to do so much being such a small, you know, in, in terms of, of numbers, in terms of maybe even of money. We're not a big organization. But it just seems that whatever we do, God multiplies it. And it's not because we're, it's, it's because we're coming from that place. We're coming from that place. Some of you will probably never meet these people in Cuba other than Yoed. Some of you probably will never travel. I wish you all would travel to Cuba with me and really see what's going on. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know those people have a need. You know that you have an ability to help it, and you're taking care of it. 
And that's what makes this church a blessing to that nation. Amen. Amen. So goodness is one of those things that just actively being good to people. And this is a big one. Let's see if we can finish this one maybe. Faith. Now, I want to clarify. When we talk, the, the, the definition, pisteos, faith, it, it is still, you know, we are a faith church, we're a word church, so forth. But it has, it has really more of an application than just, oh, I believe in God. It is believing, have, you've developed the fruit that to the point, it's not just about having faith in God. Guess what you're also having faith in? In people. You know, um, I choose, maybe I've made some mistakes, but I think the, mis- the times I've been right has overpowered the times I've been wrong. I choose to trust people. You know, I'm a very distrusting person, by the way. But I, but I tend to put things out there where I say, okay, I'm okay at this level of trust. And sometimes people let you down, as they do. But that is really kind of what it, where it's going. This. So, so the, I know it's a long definition. He says, firm persuasion to win over conviction, the truth. The synonyms would be the assurance, the reliance, the confidence. The antonyms would be confusion, disobedience, unbelief, lack of piety, hypocrisy. In other words, if the Holy Spirit is completing his work in our lives, we are allowing him to control us. We will have a growing faith that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will. And any confusion or unbelief about that is the opposite of biblical faith. Now, what is all that down to something you can take home with you? Get developing the fruit of faith to the point not only of trusting and believing, but also the knowing that God's got this. Amen. You know, one time I, when, I, when I came back in 2016 from Cuba, and it just really blessed me and Monica's heart and Monica's understanding of these things. Now, we've been running this together. She's been with me from the beginning and has seen all the wonderful things. God, but I came in with this crazy idea that God had spoken to me about buying this farm, and, and, and I had taken Dan Stratton so he could look at it, and, and, and Dan, Pastor Dan believed that God had spoken to him too. And I showed up to the house, and, and, and I just sat there by the bed. I remember this was 2016, September 2016. And she says, oh, so tell me about Cuba. What happened in Cuba? And I said, well, God just told me to believe we're supposed to buy a farm in Cuba. Because I was like, oh, I mean, where do you get $30,000? I mean, I didn't have them. Amen. I don't know anybody that had them. And it was actually more. It turned out to be like 35 by the time the paperwork and all that. But the point of it was, I came in and I was kind of like, wow, Lord, I know you spoke to me, but you know, come on, if somebody tells you you got to have $30,000 in three months, you're not going to be like, oh. Come, oh, it's también espirituales. Oh, my God. <laughs> you got two months. You committed to buy a piece of land, you got two months to come up with $35,000. And my wife said, well, if God told you, it's going to happen. Amen. That was it. That's all I got. She'd go, ay, que vamos a hacer? No. But you know what? That's that faith. The faith that God said something, I don't care how it happened. You can develop that. And he said, well, Pastor, I don't listen to God as much as you do. Well, you might start wanting to open the book more often. Because he'll talk to you through this. He'll talk to you through the preacher. He'll talk to you through a praise song. We're, we're even, you can ask Kathy, we, we're, we're very careful about what songs we sing. We don't just sing, oh, that's a cute little, you know, we don't want you to just move you emotionally. We want to, there, there has to be a word in that song. And, and some of these songs that they've been singing lately, my gosh, you know, I've, I've been dealing with stuff and that song will come right, boy, it's right there, you know. God's speaking to all of you all the time. And, and listening to him 
and developing trust in him, that's, that's part of faith. Faith comes by hearing, but also faith comes by practicing. So faith and peace are also connected. You see how you see the same fruit? That's why some people say the fruits of the Spirit. No, it's one fruit. It's just one. Different slices. So developing that level to the point in your life, well, if God said it, I'm good with it. And growing in that confidence is such a power. And guess what? People can see that. That conversation I had with my wife that day in 2016 wasn't a spiritual conversation. She asked me how did it go. I told her what happened. And she said, well, if God said it, it's going to happen. That's something in a conversation. We didn't go in a trance. We didn't fall on our knees and pray. It was just a conversation. But it shows faith. It shows that somebody developed faith. Hopefully, as your pastor, when we show up with all these projects, hopefully I can transmit that confidence and say, guys, if God said it's going to work. We've seen a couple. Just this year, we've got two major testimonies of people from our church here and Laredo, you know, dealing with cancer and dealing with issues that are pretty harsh, and God's healed them. And when they call me, I don't go to like, well, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to build faith in them. And I said, you're going to come out of this. And, or you're just saying that to make them feel good. No, I'm saying that because God said it. And I wanted that person to grab onto that. And if they can grab onto that, the healing process will kick in. Amen. I mean, we've seen this all the time. So faith in, in this context is this. And then you have gentleness. I really want to finish this one today. Y'all bear with me. I'm almost done. It's the word meekness, the Greek word prateitos. Primarily, it does not denote outward expression of feeling, but an inward grace of the soul. So if you look at kindness and you look at goodness, and now you look at gentleness, are, you say, are they the same? No, they're different Greek words. They all have their little bit different approach. So gentleness is that inward grace of the soul, a calmness towards God. It's a gentleness, I'm calm. You're not throwing your fists up to heaven. You're not, oh, why God? Why me? Where are you, Lord? No, no, you've developed a gentleness approach. Remember that little word? It's your kindness, Lord, that leads me to repentance. It's not your aggression. It's not your threats that lead me to. It's your kindness. Well, gentleness, meekness brings that calmness. It is the acceptance of God's dealing with us, considering them as good in that they enhance the closeness of our relationship with him. Some of you need to know God as a gentle God. Because as children, we were faced with a mad, angry God. Somebody say amen. That's what I grew up with. An old man that's mad at everybody and just waiting for one thing for you to do wrong so he can hit you upside the head with a stick. That was the image. I have a very you know, vivid imagination, and that's, that's the, I can still bring that image up. I have this image of this old, long beard, and, and, and I never saw it. It just, what I was taught was, Diosito te va a castigar, eh? Nobody got that? Well, now you're like, oh, geez, you know what I do? No, it's, a, it's a, an attractant to the, to the personality of God. What is the fruit of, by the way, before I lose you guys? Fruit of? The spirit. What spirit is he referring to? The God spirit, his spirit, his personality. All these things that we're talking about is what God is made out of. It's not some other random thing. God is trying to transmit into us his spirit into a manifestation, into the natural world, where people will really see, wow, you know, since you found God, you really changed, haven't you? You don't have to go around saying, I've changed. Everyone around you is going to see that you've changed. Amen. Amen. Self-control. I knew I was going to have to get to that one. 
Some of you need self-control about that clock right now. Y'all getting all stressed out. It's about to be 12. I'm the one who's got a beeline to Laredo and do it all over again, all right? But what about this one? This is a big one because that's the one that slapped me in the face right after I threw my arm out. The Holy Spirit said, oh, you're so cute, aren't you? The devil didn't condemn me. I kind of laughed. I think God kind of smiled like, are are you kidding me? We've got to develop self-control, church. Greek word, I cannot pronounce Greek too, but I believe it's ekratias. Continence, temperance, the synonyms of this word would be contentedness and sufficiency. The antonyms would be the excess, self-indulgence, and senselessness. Not allowing your emotions. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm feeling very lonely up here, guys. Not allowing your emotions to run away with you. What was it? Two summers ago, we did a whole series on emotional intelligence. Y'all remember that? We have to control our emotions. We are emotional people, but that doesn't give us a permission to be completely out of control emotionally. Amen? And we, all, we, all, we were built this way. We're, we're supposed to be emotional. And I don't know what's happening to me. The older I get, the more mushy I get. I'll be watching a dumb show, and I'll be like, tears. I'm like, come on, Saturday, you're not that. Be a man, you know? Like, what's going wrong with me, man? I was actually I was talking to... Caden said something yesterday. He said, you know, it's, I just noticed something. He says, adults don't cry a whole lot, do they? I said, no, we cry more than you know of. But I was, nobody ever told me this, but I was raised in an environment. I, didn't, I mean, it's not like my dad said it, but between my dad and my grandpa, it's like, you don't cry. Come on, guys. Right? It's kind of, I mean, nobody said it. Just crying was a sign of weakness. So to me, it's very hard. Sometimes I'm very emotional in church, and I'm like pulling back, pulling back, pulling back, because... I'm still there, and we shouldn't be that way. We are emotional people. What God doesn't want you is your emotions to be controlling you. Emotions are part of you. We laugh, we cry, we're excited, we're sad, we're happy. You know, but the emotion is not a bad thing. It's when it loses its control, or let me put it this way, when you lose the control of that emotion. That's what self-control is. Amen? So self-control tells us not allowing your emotions to run away with you. While patience was being tolerant of people, self-control is being moderate and not giving to the indulgence or excess. And this can be anything. You can watch too much TV, or you can do this, or you can do that, or you, you know, we can go down a whole list of stuff. But the point of it is, we have to be in control of our lives. That's what I tell people that are dealing with addictions and dealing with bad habits. It's not that anybody's better. It's that God doesn't want anything else to control you. That's really the, the, the key issue is that. God wants you to be in control of your life, and he wants to be an influence in your life. Guess what? God doesn't want to control your life. He wants to be an influence in your life. That's difference. The Holy Spirit is not trying to control you. He's trying to convince you. Amen? Are you you still with me? Don't lose me, guys. We're almost done. So self-control is not giving an indulgence. Now, let's let's wrap it up with a a couple of things. Weakness versus imperfection. I almost should stop here, but let me see if we can. Y'all give me five minutes. Who gives me five minutes? I'm going to pull the pastor down. Raise your hand. Five minutes. Five, 10, 15, 20. That's all I need. Thank you all. Thank you. I got 25. That's all I needed. So you're like, ah, he tricked us into that. At least 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. And I'm not going to talk about the thorn in the flesh, but this is Paul writing 
and recognizing that he was weak. Remember what I told you at the beginning of all this? The apostles show us how this works. Jesus is the standard of perfection, but the apostles showed us real life application. And this is about as real as it gets, because once again, this is a guy that God trusted to write two-thirds of that holy book that we have. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, pay attention now, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities, which is not sickness, it means weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in weakness, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. And here comes a big one. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I was meditating on this as I was preparing for the, for the, for the teaching, and I decided to you know, go back to the, what happens if we just change the word out, imperfection? Because weakness, it makes us feel like, I'm weak, I'm tired. No, just, you know, I'm not trying to change the Bible, but, but, it, but I think I have biblical authority to give you this definition because it represents kind of the same thing. So if we change the word weakness for the word imperfection, it would read a little bit different, and it would apply basically to what we're talking about today. And I'll just pull a couple one, so I'll just pick it up right in the middle. Concerning the things I pleaded the Lord three times that it might depart from me, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your imperfections. So when you recognize an area of your life where the fruit's not developed, guess what? You got his strength to help you develop it. See, God's not trying to, you got to be holy. No, no, he says, I, got, I know, you're, you're, you know, you're messed up. I know it. But guess what? I'm going to help you with it. I'm not, you're, not on, you're not by yourself on this. Because I know what some of you are thinking, man, Pastor, I need self-control. I don't have any. No, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit's going to help you with it. I don't have any patience. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to help you with it. Amen? He says, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, for Christ's sake, for when I am imperfect, pay attention now, he is perfect. And I think as Christians, we just got to go ahead and, and, and realize we need some help. And try to put everything in our little spiritual you know, closet and lock it up so nobody can, so oh, what are people going to think? Who cares? What does God think? <laughs> you know, who cares what people are going to think? Because that's what Christians do. We lock up all our little imperfections, all our little struggles, all our little hidden sins and hidden secrets that they're not hidden because God knows. And if God knows, us, you know, what else is hidden, right? Don't stop it. Just go, okay, Lord, why don't you do it this morning? I recognize I need some help. I recognize I'm imperfect. So I'm going to go to where you're at. I know my imperfections, and I'm just putting it in parentheses. This is my notes. The little quote I, 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 the Lord gave me last night, the second one, are areas of development. Imperfections aren't for you to leave this building feeling bad like you got no hope. They're just pointers to say, hey, I got something to do this week. Amen? I got something to do this week. <clears throat> Don't use your imperfections as an excuse to sin. Or use grace as a forgiveness of sin card. Use your imperfections as a motivation to move in the direction of his perfection. In other words, don't look at the thing that's bugging you that I'm talking about right now. It's, oh my gosh, say, no, that is a motivation. 
You know, when, when you, and I'll, I'll just example, you know, I remember when I, I needed to get in, in shape and got in shape and got out of shape again, and I just, you know, not even back in shape at some point. But the thing is, you know, that's something you need, I needed to work on. I didn't say like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's horrible. I'm going to just hide it. Stick. No, it, it, I wasn't perfect, but I had a standard to reach. Does that make sense? So you don't, you don't hide it. <coughs> you don't put it away. You say, okay, I'm good. And that's where I'm at with you. I'm, I'm on this journey with you guys. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not here trying to preach to you something that I'm not on a journey. I realize I need to develop more self-control. I realize I need to develop certain things. And every one of them needs more help. Don't think I got some of them down, I'm done with it. Got my diploma. No. Every one of them. And if you look at your everyday activities, you're going to find many, many, many opportunities in everyday activities to develop the fruit of the Spirit. And instead of rejecting it, you embrace it. Amen? Last story, and we'll close with this. <laughs> when I was, I was a very impatient person. I think I still am, in a way. And I'm asking God to help me develop it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> but I remember I got on this thing probably like, my, my gosh, it must have been like 15 or 20 years ago now. And H, H knows what I'm talking about. Because I, with me, everything was 100 miles an hour all the time. And if things didn't go my way, immediately I was like super impatient. And the Lord was, deal, you know, he was that little scratchy, convincing, like, come on, dude. So I'm, I got in prayer, and I got all spiritual, and I said, Lord, this is it. I need to develop patience. Help me, Holy Spirit. And, and it's not like some people say, don't ever ask for patience. How many have heard that dumb thing? That's the most stupid thing. That's a religious garbage, because the Bible also says that patience is a virtue. So it's not, don't, don't reject patience. Because I heard somebody say, don't you ever ask for patience? I'm like, wow, it just says it's part of the fruit. seems like we should be asking for patience. So I remember I prayed this prayer, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's got a sense of humor. But he helped me. Because one of the things, you know, we lived a life that I was always in a hurry. I don't know why I was always in a hurry. How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. You don't even know why you're in a hurry. You're in a hurry. And you've got speeding tickets because you're in a hurry. And you got this, and you're in a hurry, and you always... And even my family was like so psyched out with me because if we went to the earth, someone was like, we got to eat. Get the check. We got to go. Everybody's in a hurry. And that's not a good way to live. Not at all, you know. So when, after I prayed this prayer, it just seemed like for the next three months, and this, this is kind of ironically funny, but it's true. I would, in all these situations, Lauro, where I would get every red light, Anybody? It was, like, it was like, if there was, if I had to go through 25 lights, every one would be red. And I was like, I'm, I'm timing the other light. I'm not even looking at my, I'm looking at the other one. Come on, you guys don't do that. It's yellow. I thought it was like a drag racer, man. Then the other thing that happened Every time, you know, because it was like this, like, y'all get in the truck. i got to go buy something in Walmart. Don't eat. We're in a hurry. Boom, get in Walmart. Get my stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's almost set the clock. Let's go. See if I can break my record this time. And I would run in and get the two things I wanted. And I'd just go into the express lane. The 10 items or less. And for whatever reason, somebody let the 585 items guy in the 10. No, you, you guys never saw that guy. <laughs> the other one was... I would go into H-E-B, go to Walmart, I'd run out there, and I'd get behind old sweet lady, and all she had was a gallon of milk. I said, boom, this is awesome. 
And as soon as she'd pay, she'd open her little pocket thing. And she would dump it all. And I'm just sitting here like shaking, you know. And she's one, two. And I'm over there. No, y'all don't do that. Get a magazine and go like really fast and slam it, you know. So people can see your body language of how much in a hurry you are. Raise your money if I'm connected. I mean, your money. Raise your hand. We'll raise some money now. And then I realized that it kept happening over and over and over and over. It was way beyond normal. And it was like, the Holy Spirit says, you remember what you prayed the other day? And I saw it. I remember I was standing in Walmart, and, and, and I don't know why all these same old ladies would always be in front of me. They're all paying with pennies. And I was right there, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit told me, you have another opportunity to develop patience. And I got delivered so much of that, I'm like, thank you, Lord. I just reared back, took a deep breath, and just sat there with a big fake smile on my face, like if I was actually enjoying her taking forever. <laughs> Now, if my wife takes forever, that's fine. But you know what? All those were opportunities to develop that. So when you, walk, when you navigate into this, and, I, and I'm encouraged you to do it, please do it, because you'll become a better person. You might be faced with those things. You try to develop kindness, and it seems like everybody in your life irritates you now. Right? You're trying to develop self-control, and every time you look around, somebody's trying to buy you a piece of cheesecake. Right, Elizabeth? I mean, it's like that. It's, it's hilarious because God loves you, but he does have a sense of humor. So don't ever think he's going to break your leg. Or, that's not what God does. But as you, as you navigate into kindness, into patience, into self-control, into faith, remember, God might teach you that way, and there's nothing wrong with that because if you begin to see it and say another, say this with me, it's another opportunity to develop the fruit of the Spirit. Come on, stand to your feet. Did you get something out of all that this morning? Glory to God. Give the Lord praise this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll just pick up this morning's offering and get you out of here. Father, we thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, for the word. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us this grace amazing, beyond anything I even understand, that you love us in spite of us. You have patience for us. You are kind to us. Your goodness is overwhelming. And Father, we want to develop. We want to be like you, Jesus. That we see and we understand that we're perfect on so many levels. But Father, we thank you for grace. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, if there's anyone watching us online that has not met this amazing Jesus, the one that uses kindness to lead us to repentance, not religion. Father, my prayer is that they meet you. If that's you this morning, in this house or online, please repeat this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I commit today to give you my life, spirit, soul, and body. You know, Lord, and I know that I'm not perfect, but I trust you to help me in this walk with you as a child of God to develop the fruit of the Spirit. And by doing so, being a person that will increase the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. Amen and amen. Let that just sink. 
in any area that the, the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart. Use this week to develop. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it, is a, it is an exciting way to do these things. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated quickly. I'll get you out of here. I, I, do, I need to get out of here too. Last, last, last week I was a little, little bit late. But um, all I want to say, you know, we talk quite a bit, but I think you're seeing, when we talk about money, some people get uncomfortable. I get it. I used to be that person. But when I really understood that money was not, it's not just about money. And I know there's, I believe people should take care of their family. I believe people should invest. I believe people should save some money. And I just believe that. But at the same time, that little phrase, spiritually speaking, means a lot to me. At the end of the day, it is only money. And money can be used for a lot of things. You can go buy a toy, nothing wrong with that. You can go have a fine lunch, nothing wrong with that. But when you use it to help people and to bless people, and, what, and, what, and it, it becomes such a different approach because a generous heart will never be without. Amen. That's just the truth. A generous heart will never be without. Ever. And I've, I've seen it in my life. I'm seeing it develop in other people's life. I've seen it in, even in Cuba in the life of Yoel. When, when we went down there, you know, he kind of understood these things, but he hadn't really embraced it completely. Now he tells you, he says, Pastor, we are not lacking personally. Our family's fine. He said, my heart goes to all the other need. Well, what is he doing? He's learned that he's blessed, even in, in, in adverse circumstances. He's blessed, but what? To be a blessing. And that's all I'm asking you to always consider. You know, if this church is a blessing, you bless it back, right? If this message helped you, you bless it. You're not, you're not giving me the money. You're putting it into an organization that even with our capacity, you know, I'm just thinking, man, if this church, if the heart of this church was multiplied by, let's say, a thousand people, imagine what we would do. Because we really are a handful of people. I know we have three campuses, and I mean, if you count, if you count everybody, we're probably, you know, three, four hundred people involved with Faithway in some form through Mexico, Laredo here, and, you know, kids ministry and all that. But what I'm saying is a generous heart is something that I don't know how to express it, really shows the nature of God over anything. Because it all started for God so love the world that he, finish it, he gave us the highest thing he could ever give us. It wasn't money. He put his son on a cross. So everybody's at a, a different places, you know. I've heard some preachers say some really dumb things. They like, give till it hurts. No, no, no. You don't give till it hurts. Giving is worship. Giving has thankfulness. You know, when I buy my kids a present or like Christmas and all that, and we go all out. I love Christmas. I don't say, oh, I got to buy Caden this. I'm excited. Amen. I bless my, my wife. I like to make her cry in a good way. And we were, we were trying to get to where we're going this week. Well, let's keep saying weekend, but we're going to South Padre. We rented one of those old Airbnb things. So I stopped at the HEB there in Port Isabel and ran in. And again, it was one of those, but, you know, we had a dog with us. And just wait in the truck. I'll go and get some goods. But as I went by, I saw some flowers. Aww. Y'all need to learn, man. Some of, some of the women, like, pinching him. You never buy me flowers. And I hadn't bought her flowers in a long time, and we're not putting all this thing. And I said, can you put this in the front? Because the truck's full of junk and beach toys and all that. And I said, can you put this? And I go the flowers to her. And I'm like, aww. But you know what? That's God's heart. You're just generous. You just want to bless me. So thank you guys for, for your, your commitment to Cuba. I think we need to stay with it, you know, for the, for the immediate we help a lot of places. We still pay the rent for Mexico, or at least half of it. 
Uh, there's a plan in place. I'm still trying to get the logistics figured out, even to send a team to, to help Elson um, fix up those two churches that got vandalized on the Navajo Reservation. So we do a lot of those things, but just remember that, you know, your heart is expressed in your giving. That's all I gotta say. And it doesn't matter, you know, some people, the amount makes no difference because giving is not about your pocketbook. Giving is about your heart. And everybody knows what they can do. So thank you guys for your generosity. If you need an envelope, there's one next to you. If you need to do it online, it's right there. If you're tagging something to Cuba, just make sure you put missions on, on the online giving or on your check or on the envelope. And that way, um, when they do the accounting, they'll let me know. And every penny that gets tagged to Cuba gets sent to Cuba. We don't you know, say, oh, well, we need to pay the light bill. No, that, we don't play that game. We honor God with, with your giving. You know? And we get it down there really. We got, we got ways to get it almost next day. It gets sent to a Florida bank, and there's a lot of little things you got to do because you can't send money to Cuba. But it goes into different routes, and, and what we do is completely legal. You know, it's not illegal at all because we, all we do is deposit to Wells Fargo, and then they get a call, and somebody gives that money to Yoel in Cuba. It's, it's a little, you know, maneuver we have to do. But again, thank you guys because you are making a great difference in Cuba. You know. I wish we could fix the whole island. We can't, but we are in our assignment. We are assigned to help one church. That church is helping about 200 people on a weekly basis or more, plus kids, plus elderly people. So, you know, maybe heaven will be the only time when we all really get to see how, how much difference we made. But all I said is, you know, I, don't, I want to stop because I'm getting emotional about Cuba. You know, thank you for what you're doing. We love you guys. And with that, we are done. Go ahead and stand and let's pray and I'll get you out of here. I will be here this Wednesday. By the way, I haven't been here. It was out, but I will be here this Wednesday. Pastor Odell will be here next Sunday. Please don't miss him. If you have never been under Pastor Odell's ministry, please invite people. He's awesome. He'll have a great word for you guys. Father, we just thank you that this morning has really turned, turned to be something even beyond my expectation, the spirit, the feel of the presence of God in this room, the joy that's in this church. And Lord, I pray that this transmits here to our next service in Laredo. Father, till I see him again, I pray the peace of God that passeth all understanding.